This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. series is almost the whole point of the Exodus series. We called our series God Draws Us Out to Draw Us In and um, the, the idea is that God has taken us out of slavery just like he took the Egyptians out of slavery. He's taken us out of slavery to sin and death and he's brought us into a new life but that's not just you get become a Christian for no purpose. You become a Christian for the purpose of being drawn into God's presence and so I'm excited about this this morning so um, those people that are away are going to feel like, man, I wish I was there. And you guys are going to feel, not that church is boring, but that was so exciting. Okay, so you're ready to be excited about this? Great. Okay, so, uh, so that my title this morning is His Presence. He draws us out to draw us in. And uh, it's interesting with presence. We've, I think we've got a, a society that, that's, uh, that struggles with, with presence, we struggle with, uh, with being all present. So we've been on holiday, uh, campsite. One of the things about campsite is they normally don't have Wi-Fi, which means that my kids will gather on the tiny little hotspot wherever the cafe is. And but actually, we had 4G Wi-Fi on our campsite, which you think, great. But you know that, that little thing that you've got in your pocket is just kind of saying to me, hmm, Leeds United are playing this evening. Why don't you just check? You know, and why don't you read that? And why don't you read that? And what you find is that we were around the that we'd we'd eat, we'd eat the spaghetti bolognese, what it is, and we're just on our phones. In fact, we went out for one meal in the. Uh, we always go out for one meal, uh, where we actually paid people to cook for us, and we made everyone put their phones. So there's ten of us. All their phones were stacked in the middle of the table, and actually we had a decent conversation. So, but I think our society is restlessly absent, even even when we're present. We're still absent, even when, and I find this, so, so I was at the rugby yesterday, I watched the rugby yesterday, and there's a screen, that, and it's kind of popping up with stuff, and there's stuff, and I'm constantly distracted. Instead of like focusing on the rugby, I'm constantly distracted, and I think, what is it? We just struggle to be fully present, we struggle to be all there. And, and I think that, that means that when it comes to, to kind of our relationship with God, we, we often think that he's not like that, that he's like that. He's really distracted. He's really flitting around. He's really busy with everything else and not got time for us. And, um, and so we've got, we're restless in our, in our, uh, restless in our nature. Uh, St. Augustine of Hippo, uh, uh, first famous African theologian, said this, Lord, you have made us for yourself. And our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. There's a restlessness about our attention. There's a restlessness about our engagement. A restlessness about whether we're present or not. But, and I'm part of that restlessness is because technology is kind of driving in. And part of that restlessness is because society is going faster and faster. But part of that restlessness is because actually you're never going to feel rested. You're never going to feel fully present until you encounter the presence of God. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about we want to encounter the presence of God. 
God want to feel an end to our restlessness and say, actually, God, we're here for you. So it's great that Steve said, you know, people have fought, uh, uh, it wasn't great that, people, that he said that people are bored with church, but it's good, interesting, he said that people are distracted. Oh, it's this, I'm distracted with serving, I'm distracted with loads of things. Jesus says to Martha and Mary, doesn't he? Martha, Martha, you're distracted by so many things. And Mary sits at the feet of Jesus and he says, she's chosen the one thing needed. And if you're an easily distracted person, we want to choose the one thing needed this morning and encounter Jesus. Okay, so it's a a long reading, but a great chapter. I've been told that I uh, say things in different orders and read what's not there. Again, grace to me, uh, from you. You can read it better than me, uh, but here it is anyway. Okay, so Exodus 33, then the Lord... Oh, let me just context. Last time I, I was up here two weeks ago, I spoke on the golden calf. So what's happened is, this has been the, after the golden calf, the Israelites have decided they don't want to be in God's presence. They're going to have, make their own God. They're going to make a golden calf. They have this big orgy. Uh, it's an absolute disaster. Uh, and God uh, says to Moses, I'm going to wipe them all out. Moses says, no, no, they're your people. Don't wipe them out. And so this is following straight after that. So it's still the same encounter. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place. You and the people you brought out of Egypt, interestingly saying Moses did it, well actually it's God who brought them out of Egypt. Uh, you and the people you brought out of Egypt and go up to the land that I promised you, I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey but I will not go with you because you're a stiff-necked people. That that stiff-necked means they won't bow down. You're a stiff-necked people and I might consume you or destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord said to to Moses, tell the Israelites, you're a stiff-necked people and if I were to go with you even for a moment, I might consume you. Now take off your ornaments and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. Now Moses used to take a tent. This is almost like the editor had written this in. So, uh, the, you know, Moses wrote the book of Exodus and then there's a few little bits where comments are made about Moses. And I think this is one of those where somebody's added in what Moses used to do to help us understand. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out uh, to the tent, all the people stood at the entrance to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their own tents. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young assistant, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you found favour with me. If you're pleased with me now, teach me your way so that I may know you and continue to find favour with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you. That's singular, that's just Moses. It's not you, the people, that's just Moses. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. 
Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other peoples on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you ask because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I'll proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I'll have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I'll put you in the cleft or the crack of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I'll remove my hand and you'll see my back, but my face must not be seen. Father, we just pray as we look at this great passage, uh, I pray that you'd give us a hunger for your presence. I pray that you'd make us a people that would say it's you alone that we want. Father, we thank you for the example of Moses seeking after your presence, and we say let that be true for us this morning. Amen. So we just want to know that, just to get you clear, the whole point, as I've said about Exodus, was that, 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 that God wanted the people to be with him. It says in Exodus 29, and you can find other verses, it says, it says, I will dwell, this is God saying, I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt so that, that's the whole purpose, so that I may dwell amongst them, I'm the Lord their God. Now there's lots of other gods and lots of other idols that you can choose and lots of other gods, but the, the, the God of, that's revealed by Jesus is the God that wants to be with us. He's, uh, you know, so Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us. It's God wants to be with us. We can often think that God is reluctant to be with us, and that we're really keen to be with him. The reality is, no, he's really eager to be with us, and we're reluctant to be with him. Right at the beginning of the story, God is, uh, after Adam and Eve have said to, uh, sinned against God, it's us that go hiding, and God that comes looking for us. God wants to know you, wants to dwell with you, wants to be with you. It's not that we're searching after God. Lots of other religions, you, you have to do this and do this and do this and do this and do this to find God. But actually, the reality is God has done this and this and this and this and this in Jesus to find us. So he's coming to be with us. He wants to dwell with us. We saw that right at the beginning in the garden. We see that right at the end in Revelation. It says now that from the throne, God says now the dwelling of God is with men. That's his purpose. He wants to set the world right. He wants to forgive sin. He wants to sort those out. But his purpose is that he would dwell with us. And he states that to the Israelites. I want to dwell with you. But the problem is we don't want to dwell with them. We don't want to dwell with God. We say, no, we'll have another God. We'll make an idol. We'll make a golden calf. We'll have something else instead of God because we are reluctant to dwell with God. If God's absent for a moment from our agenda, we think, God, we're not, you're not interested in us. We can feel like when we pray, God's reluctant, that we're, our prayers, if we pray, are just bouncing off the ceiling. But actually, it's our hearts that are, are, are far from God, not his heart that's far from us. But it's interesting, when, they, when the Israelites decide to make a golden calf, they actually then are, are, are actually not allowed into God's presence. So God wants to dwell with them, but basically they choose another God 
And God says, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you. So God wants to go with them, but then he says, strangely, I'm not going to go with you. I'm not going to go with you. Because you're a stiff-necked people. In other words, you bow down to other gods and you haven't loved me. I talked about how, uh, how the, when the uh, Israelites uh, worshipped the golden calf, it was almost like they were committing adultery on their wedding night. God had saved them for himself to be their husband, but yet they said, I don't want you. I'm going to be with this. And the shocking nature of of their rejection of God. And, 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 and so, so we get this interesting thing. It says, I will not go with you because you're a stiff-necked people and I might consume you on the way or destroy you on the way. That, so there's this idea that God wants to desperately go with us, but because we've rejected him, he can't go with us. Because he's, and it's not because he re- he's reluctant, but because he's saying, actually, I might destroy you on the way. Tim Chester who uh, wrote uh, the Exodus for You, uh, a little book, really great little book. It's a great little series, Exodus, uh, the, the Bible for You, different ones. He says this in his thoughts about this. He says, God is holy. That means he's completely different, separate from us. And the main separation is that he's completely good. We'll say that later. And we are not. God is holy. He is like the sun. If you or I went anywhere near the sun, we'd instantly burn up. Anything impure that comes into God's holy presence is destroyed. And it says in Hebrews 12, 29, God is a consuming fire. So what it's saying is, I want to be with you, I want to go with you, but actually because you've rejected me, because you're sinful, if you go with me, you're going to get burned up. It's almost like you fly too close to the sun, you're going to too close to the sun, it's going to destroy you. So God says, I need to keep away from you because my goodness is going to burn you up. So we've got this desire where God wants to be with us, he wants to have his presence with us, but there's a problem of our sin and he can't go, and he says, I won't go with you. Now it's interesting, what happens is, he kind of then makes a a deal or no deal kind of situation with Moses. He says, okay, I'll go with you, I'll give you the land I've promised, I'll bless you, I'll do all these things, but but I'm not going. So what, what do you want here? You can have everything that I've promised, but not me, deal or no deal. You can have everything, but not me. It's an interesting thing for for, for, for God to ask Moses. Do you want all the blessings of God, or do you want God? Mike McKinley, a US pastor, um, said this. It's worth asking ourselves, if heaven gave me everything, these are his categories, the job, the girl, the guy, the car, the health, the wealth, for eternity, but Jesus wasn't there, would I be content? Or if heaven gave me nothing except Jesus, would I be satisfied? And then very honestly, he says, deep down, I think that I often answer yes to the stuff and no to Jesus. That's because I love other things too much and love Jesus far too little. This guy's saying, with real honesty, actually, if the question's asked, you can have all the stuff of God, all the benefits of God, but God's not going to be there, deal or no deal. He, he's saying, in his heart, it's a deal. I'll take that. I'll take all the blessings of God, but 
yeah, if God's not there, it's fine. I want the stuff, I don't want him. Now, you might sit here self-righteously and say, no, 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 you know, I wouldn't be that because clearly I'm here on Sunday morning uh, at the end of the holiday season and I've chosen God. But the reality is that in our behaviour, we can so often forget God, we just want the stuff. We just want the benefits of God and we don't want God. Tim uh, Chester uh, reflects on it like this. So why are you a Christian? Is it because you get forgiveness? Which you do. Sin's forgiven. Hope. Blessing. That's great. Be like Moses. Pursue God for his own sake. But be like Moses. Pursue God for his own sake. If you only love God's blessings, then your faith may falter when life is hard. I mean, I know so many people, and I maybe am tempted to do it in my own life, that when life gets tough, we say, God, where are you? Because we kind of signed up that if I'm a Christian, nothing bad's going to happen to me. It's all going to be great. I'm never going to be family disease. There's never going to be family breakup. There's never going to be anything bad's going to happen to me. And if bad things have happened to you, and you've thought, God, where are you? That's an interesting challenge. If you only love God for God's blessings, then your faith may falter when life is hard. If you only love what God gives, then what will happen if he ever withholds it? Some people want, to hang, ha- want the benefits that church brings, a place to hang out, an accepting, forgiving community. I hope we are that. A, pl- a group of people to meet their needs, but do they really want God. Deal or no deal. What do you want, people? What do we want? What are we doing church for? What are we following Jesus for? Do we want the stuff, the benefits, or do we want God? What are you going to say? The question's put in your lap. If you're Moses, what do you want? The stuff or the presence? Now, Moses had learned to push through in a way that I sometimes, even as I read this, feel like if I'd learned better to push through, the question to deal or no deal, do you want the stuff or do you want God's presence, would be easy for me to answer because it's easy for Moses to answer. And that's when the editor wrote this, the bit in the middle, he helps us to know why it's easy to answer. He says, and Moses used to go into the tent of meeting and the pillar of cloud, which is a sign of God's presence, would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. That is amazing, isn't it? That's amazing. You just think, you know, because later on God says, you can't see me. So this, who's this? This is Jesus, I believe. Who's the, 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 the presence of God, the God with us? It's like, I think Moses used to go and speak with Jesus in the tent face to face. And actually, if you, in, the, in the bit elsewhere, it says, anyone who wanted to inquire of the Lord could go. But actually, it says, they all stood at the front of their tent and watched Moses go in. Well, it's great that our leader's got this incredible relationship with God. I'll just kind of watch that. It's going to be great, isn't it? And often you hear of mega churches where the leader's like exalted, like, whoa, he's the amazing kind of guy this person is. But actually, they're just standing at the entrance of their tent and letting him have a walk with Jesus. But actually, it says anyone who wanted to inquire of the Lord could go. Moses learnt to go in and encounter God. I find it's a challenge 
for me, but I find it shocking sometimes when I talk to people and they say, you know, I've been a Christian for years and I never read my Bible. Never got that habit. Never kind of open God's word, God's, Jesus, God's word and say, God, encounter me. Finding that quiet place is a challenge for all of us. Finding that place in God's presence say, it's you that I want. It's you that I want. If they were to video my, my, my holiday time, how much time have I pressed into God's presence compared to going on speedboats or whatever we did? But, you know, is it speedboats in crystal clear water or is it God's presence? Well, the speedboat, you know? Because we haven't learnt what's really most precious. But it's interesting, the young Padawan, Moses, uh, Joshua, he, he, what he's learning, he, Moses goes in the tent and he's doing his interaction with Jesus and he's face-to-face talking with him and, and, then, and the presence of God is there. And then when Moses has gone to his, goes to his life, the young guy, the young Christian, the young follower says, I'm going to stay here because this is what I want to learn. Now guess who ends up leading after Moses? Because he's learned, Joshua, because he's learned to press in. We've got to learn to press in. We've got to learn to say, actually, in my life, in my diary, the presence is what matters. The psalmist says this. Moses, David says, no deal. I'm not going to have your stuff without you. No deal. One thing I ask of the Lord, I love this. And this only do I seek. What are you putting in there? One thing I ask of the Lord, this only do I seek. Lord, give my, give my kids this. Give them good partners. Give them jobs. Give this. Give Lord, give us this. 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 One thing I ask of the Lord, eh? But this is what I seek, says the psalmist, that I may dwell in the house, in the presence of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his tent, in his presence, in his tabernacle. We love that, don't we? Because we all feel, oh, my heart is restless until I find that. But yet we don't find that. We're so restless. Not finding that. I, you know, just, if we just read that every morning to ourselves for 365 days a year, never read the rest of the Bible, that would be great. One thing I ask of the Lord. Not five, not ten, not twenty. One. This is what I'm after. You. So when God said to to Moses, I'm going, I'm not going to go with you, but I am going to go with you. This happens later. Jesus' disciples, Jesus says this, John 14 says, I will not leave you on your own, I won't leave you fatherless, I won't leave you as orphans, I'll come to you. Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. I'm going away, and then I'm coming back. I will ask the Father and he'll give another advocate or counsellor or helper to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. You can't go in your tent or your secret place and meet Jesus physically. But as another one like Jesus, you can meet every day. There's another one like him. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, you can meet him. You can meet him every day. When, the, when Jesus says to the disciples, I'm going and leaving, you must have thought, no, this is terrible. I'm not going with you. No, don't leave us, don't leave us. It's been great being with you. It's been great being with you. No, no, but just be okay. There's another one like me. It's going to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. 
And it talks about in, in Corinthians, it says, and when Moses came down the mountain, you can read it, you could read it later on if you read on from this chapter. It says, when Moses came down the mountain, his, his face was so bright, they all said, Whoa, you've been in God's presence, it's too bright. Put this veil over your face. But then Paul says, But we with unveiled faces behold the glory of God. We can go right in to that tent and meet with him. Let's press on. Verse 15, it says, Moses says, no deal. He says, if your presence does not go with us, he's offered him to say, I'll go with you. He said, no, 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 it's not just me, it's all of them. That's the deal. You come with all of us. We're your people. This is your people. If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us. The presence of God is a sign he's pleased with us. This is brilliant. When we search for, in a world of identity, what else will distinguish me and your people from all the peoples on the face of the earth? What's the fingerprint of a church that loves Jesus? What's the fingerprint of a Christian that follows Jesus? It's that the presence of God marks you out. The presence of God marks you out. You might find other things, and other churches might, and other things might say in church, that marks you out. You know, you give, that marks you out. Or you, you serve, that marks you out. Or you're friendly, that marks you out. Or you like to eat food, that marks you out. You know, what marks you out? What marks out a church? They should say, people should say, when they meet with us, God's with you. They often say, hey, they're really nice, young, friendly bunch, whatever, and that's all good, isn't it? But they should say, you know, there's God's with you. Very occasionally, somebody who doesn't know Jesus will come and meet with us and say, you know, there's just something that really makes you different. You know, what is it about you? That's the fingerprint of God's presence. When you come amongst us, it's not that just we're a nice bunch of people, and we are, generally, you know, but it's actually that God is with us. That's the fingerprint. That's what marks us out from all the other peoples on the face of the earth. That's an outrageous claim, isn't it? It's a claim for the Jews, but actually now it's a claim for God's people by His Spirit, Christians. They should, we are, should be distinct from every other group of people on the earth. There should be something beautiful about us. Because God's presence is with us. It's God's presence that makes the church. Let's make this point again about the presence being God's spirit. Uh, Ephesians 2, 21, 22 says, with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. Let's not forget that. Church, the presence of God is built on Jesus and what he's done. You know, we sing that song, Cornerstone, my hope is built in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's the cornerstone. Christ alone, cornerstone. He's the cornerstone. But, it says, uh, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple, obviously God's dwelling place. And in him, in Christ, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That's the unique thing. Now, I know they often say this, that some people say, oh, well, there's different types of churches. There's churches that worship like this, and there's churches that worship like that. And it's just a kind of style or preference thing. And that's kind of because we are, because we're, we're in this group called Advance. We're not as mad as them. 
not as boring as them. You know, that's our style. But it's not that. That's not what it's about. What Paul is saying here is, no, God dwells by his spirit. God dwells by his spirit. It's not a style thing. There are crazy style stuff in, in how churches behave. But God's presence amongst us is not a style thing. I feel sad sometimes about us. That I think, God, where are you? Maybe that's my heart, that I just go through the motions and I just want the stuff. But I think, God, I want us to come this term and say, I'm hungry for you. It's you that I want. It's your, I'm coming to your dwelling place. When we gather together as living stones, says Peter, where God dwells by his spirit. This is what you should, this is what it's about. So let me just comment on this because I, I know one of, one of our elders is constantly asking me, say, look, mention spiritual gifts. Let, let me just mention this. 1 Corinthians 12. So these, these are the, the, some of the signs. They're not the only signs, but these are some of the signs that God's here. I'll come some other ones in a minute, but these are some of the signs that God's here. It says, now for the, the manifestation, that's the visible presence of God, is given for the common good. To one there's given through the spirit a message of wisdom, to another message of knowledge, by means of the same spirit, to another faith, to believe God by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing, by that one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophets to speak the word of God, to another distinguishing between spirits, what's good and what's bad, what's good from God and what's not. Another speaking different kinds of tongues and another still the interpretation of tongues. They're not the only way that God shows his presence, but they are a sign that God's with us. These gifts are to bring God's presence. The challenge is sometimes we can be, if you've been around churches like ours for a while, can, oh, well, that was really good. We had, somebody had brought a prophecy this morning. Tick. Oh, somebody uh, had a word of knowledge. Great. Oh, we had a healing. I, I think it must have been eight to nine years ago, but we definitely believe in that. You know what I'm saying? It's like this tick list to say God's amongst us. But actually it's not. It's because when God's doing that stuff, you think God's really here. God's really here. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could say week after week, maybe if I was in the tent of presence more, maybe if you were in the tent of presence more, we could say, come, if you're feeling, if you're sick, if you need healing, come down. <laughs> Boom. That would be a good sign, wouldn't it, that God's in this place? Oh, you know, Howard's quite an excited preacher. I'd much rather have, whoa, God's here. Let's have the both. Let's have the word and the spirit. But there's a sense where God's here, and I think let's be hungry for that God first. Not because we're ticking a box. Because we just say, God spoke to me, and he's like, whoa, he spoke, and he's here. Samuel Chadwick, this guy's a solid 18th, 19th century old boy who loved Jesus. This is what he said. Spiritful churches are ablaze with God. I love this quote. I'm going to read it twice. Spiritful churches are ablaze with God. They love with a love that shines, that glows like Moses' face. They serve with a faith that kindles. They pray with a devotion that consumes. They rejoice with a joy that radiates and a holiness purified in the presence of God. How do we know God's here? They love with a love that glows. They serve with a faith that kindles. They pray with a devotion that consumes. They rejoice with a joy that radiates and a holiness purified in the presence of God. I thought I can add to this quote. You can add to this quote, can't you? What, what's churches where God's around? These are my additions. Spirit-filled churches are ablaze with God. They build community with a commitment that's consistent. We're there. 
We're there. We're in. This is our community. We belong. Not that we don't have any other friends, but we belong. That We're here. We're committed. We're in. They are disciples with an openness that's contagious. You better find somebody who knows your inside stuff. And you better be brave enough to tell them. And you better stick with those friends. Because they're going to, they might move away. And I've been in groups with different guys that now are in different parts of the world, different churches, but they're keepers. You better find that. Churches that are ablaze with God, their disciples are. They are disciples with an openness that's contagious. They care for the poor with a faithfulness that's unshaken. God help us. So easily shaken. They give with a generosity that overflows. And they reach out. They reach out with a hope that's unquenchable. Come on, you could write your own. Good enough. I said, right, okay, take a piece of paper. Write what God's presence in the church looks like. You could write your own, I hope. But I hope you're saying, yeah, we want that, don't we? Is that us? Yeah, we hope it is. It is a bit, but it isn't. We need to know God's way. I'm going to land this down and then we're going to have an extended time. We're going to say, God, let your presence come. Exodus 33, 13. Moses says, if you're pleased with me, teach me your ways that I may know you. Teach me your ways. You know, it's not just, oh, I went to a big meeting in a tent in the middle of Somerset or Norfolk or wherever we go in the summer. Oh, wasn't it great? I had just this amazing time. I had this manifest sense of God's presence. Now Moses is saying, look, this is a daily thing. I have to learn. I've got to learn. Teach me. Teach me. This, this Bible, this word. Teach me. Teach me. Teach me. Teach me so that I'm going to know you. Paul prays to the Ephesian church. I keep asking the God... <laughs> of our Lord and Father, Jesus Christ. He's praying in the tent like Moses, the glorious Father, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That means you get to know him, you get to know the Bible, you get to know Jesus. So you know him better. Paul says this, he says, he says I don't, not that I already know him, not that I've already got hold of this, he says in Philippians, not already that I've done it. He says, but I press on. One thing I press on to, it's almost like the psalmist, one thing I press on to, that I might know him. You think, Paul, if you don't know him, no one does, because there's knowing him for all eternity. What are we going to do for all eternity? We're going to press in to know him. There might be some speedboat racing. But actually, the bottom line is, it's him we want. He's much more exciting than turquoise waters and white sand. And I struggle to think, whoa, I'm so happy, a smile on my face of doing that. But yeah, he's much more exciting. He's, we're pressing into him. I want to know him, says Moses. Teach me the ways I want to know you. You think, Moses, you know him? No. Always on that journey. Let's land this down. Exodus 33, 18. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and proclaim my name. And this is his name, the Lord. Uh, proclaim my name in your presence. And this is his name, I'll have mercy on who I have mercy and have compassion on who I have compassion. But you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord says, there is a place near me where you can stand on a rock. And when the glory passes by, I'll hide you in the cleft or the crack of the rock and cover you my hand till I pass by. Moses has got the bit between his teeth, hasn't he? He's like, I want to know you. It's like, well, you, you, I'll go with you, my presence will go with you. Say, no, I'm, I want more. 
I want more. When you read that, do you feel like, God, show me your glory? It's a scary prayer, eh? Why? Because Moses is just like the rest of us. If we get close to God, we're like, burn up. You can't get too close. (laughs) Moses is taking a risk. I want to get really close. And God says this, he says, no, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to show you who I am. I'm going to show you who I am. C.H. Spurgeon, another old boy from the last century, no, two centuries ago, says, now what attribute is God about to show Moses? Show me your glory. Lots of churches, the glory, the glory came. I don't know why they say it like that, but anyway. <laughs> His petition is, show me your glory. How will he show him his, will God show him his justice? Will he show him his holiness? Will he show him his power? Will he, uh, sorry about the language here, will he rend yonder mountain and show him he's almighty? Will he bring his sins to remembrance and show him that he's omniscient, that he knows all things? No. Hear the still small voice. I will make all my goodness pass before thee. Ah, says Spurgeon, the goodness of God is God's glory. God's greatest glory is that he is good. The brightest gem in the crown of God is he is good. I will make all my goodness pass before you. It's just brilliant, isn't it? You know, what do you think God's about? Power, justice, might, sin. He's good good. He's good. And his love endures forever. The psalmists keep on telling us, don't in the psalms, he is good, he is good, and his love endures forever. He says, I want to see that. God says, God, I'll show you that. I'm going to show you how good I am. But that is a danger. Even my goodness is kind of dangerous for you. I'm so good and you're not. That's dangerous. So I'm going to put you in a place I'm going to put you in a place. There's a song that you might sing if you've been around church for some while called Rock of Ages. It says, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me find, or let me hide, sorry, myself in thee. Who's the rock that was cleft? We talked about it when Steve preached about the rock. Jesus is the rock. Cleft means cleaved. Jesus' body is cleaved. It's torn apart. Jesus says it on the, on the last episode, this is my body broken for you. So he's cleaved. And then what he does, he takes, takes you and I. God puts us in there. And he's going to hide you in him. And just to be safe, I'm going to put my hand on you. The safest place ever. Hidden in Jesus. How can we, how can, we can't go with the Holy God, but hidden in Jesus... Our life's hidden in God. We're, we're there with him. We're, we're, in, we're, we're hidden inside the cleft of the rock. We're, we're hidden and safe forever inside the, the broken body of Christ, inside the, the blood. It says, I, 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 Colossians 3, 3, you have died. No, you haven't. Jesus has died. His body's been cleaved. You've, you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's where your dwelling place is. Right in the very centre of God, right in the centre of Father, Son and Spirit. That's where you live. That's where you live. 
That is the place where you dwell. That's the place that's open for you. That's the torn curtain, the torn body that you can go in, right into the presence of God and have him come right out to you. That's the place where you live. We live in his presence. You should feel, I'm hungry for the body of Christ, but I'm hungry for his presence. The Exodus story finishes, and I didn't want to give you lots and lots. I thought, oh, shall I preach through about the altar and the table and the lampstand and, and this and the curtain and the poles? And, and I thought, no, you can read that for yourself. But actually, it says at the end of Exodus, and by the way, it was just one long book. Somebody somewhere, when they were translating it into Latin, said, oh, this would be a good end. Let's, let's break it there. But, but, you know, Exodus, end of Exodus, this is what it was. Then Moses set up the tabernacle. Tabernacle just means dwelling place. Actually, the, the book of John starts with, the word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled with, it, with us. That's why we reckon he's, I reckon he's born on the Feast of Tabernacles. You can have that for free. Then the Moses set up the tabernacle. It's him, eh? Jesus, the place where we dwell. And the altar, the cross... And the curtain at the entrance. And so Moses finished the work. Jesus on the cross says, it's finished. It's done. There's a dwelling place now. It says, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. And the glory, the goodness of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses couldn't even get in there because the tent of the meeting, the tent of the tent of meeting, because the cloud had settled it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. You think, well, that's great, isn't it? Exodus, I love all that. That's the church, people. Let's finish with this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. They gathered, the disciples had gathered. 120 of them. So a little bit more than we got today, but 120. And it says, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Not a tabernacle now, but God's people filled the whole house where they were sitting and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. If you're a Christian, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says you can't become a Christian unless the Holy Spirit makes you. But Paul also says in Ephesians, now keep on being filled with the Spirit. Keep on being filled with the Spirit. Are you a people of, the, are you a people of encounter? Yes. We don't do the spiritual kind of things to prove that we're, that we're in. We're hidden in Christ and therefore we're hungry for His presence. We're hungry for His presence. So if you said, if, we, if I reach my hands and say, Holy Spirit, we want you to come. That's the fundamental fingerprint expression of God's, your presence is what we want. And sometimes that has caused churches to go nutty. But I want us to put that aside, put our fear aside, and say, God, it's you that we want. Another one like Jesus can come in the room now and meet with us. We can talk to him as a man talks to his friend. I hope you're hungry for the presence of God because we're going to worship now. We've got about half hour, but we're going to worship.
For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.